welcome back to the It's All Sport podcast, the podcast that celebrates the love of sport and the art of living. This is episode five of season one. My name is Joe, and I'm joined, as always, by my good friend and co-host, Anna. Anna, we're about halfway through this first season. How have you found it so far? Yeah, thank you very much, Joe. First and foremost, a very, very warm welcome to all of our listeners from my side as well. As always, Joe, it's a pleasure to be sitting here with you and sharing the studio with you. And yeah, we are halfway through our first season communities. Wow, that's incredible. This is our fifth episode and we had a couple of really, really interesting and great guests on so far. So we spoke to entrepreneurs in the sports industry. We spoke to creatives. We spoke to professionals and athletes. So a super, super broad split of people and perspective, but all with a common goal to you know, shed lights on how sports can embrace and, and foster community. Yeah, I agree. I think we've done something to shed light to the uh, perception of sport that we all hold in the magazine, uh, which is that it is the perfect community building tool. Uh, if you like this content and want to hear more of it, obviously keep tuning into the podcast, but we also have a website called allsportsmagazine.com and our Instagram at allsportsmagazine. That is where the most of our content gets gets put out. So we have weekly articles, weekly newsletters, playlists, visual posts, all things sport community based. We don't shy away from any sport, any story. We, we, we get it all out there and some super talented people putting out some, some brilliant work. So I definitely go check that out. Back to this episode in question, though, Anna. So for our fifth episode, we have brought onto the podcast Rihanna Galvin. She came to our studio up in North London. Maybe you could go a bit of a way to describing uh, who Rihanna Galvin is. Sure. So Rihanna Galvin is um, a sports performance analysis for the Welsh hockey team. And she previously worked for GB Hockey across both the men's and the women's team. And besides her commitments for these national hockey teams, she is also working for the University of Twickenham, where she is the course lead for sports performance analysis and talent identification. And throughout this podcast episode, she will run us through what that means, what is entailed when we speak about sports performance analysis, what can and what it can it not do. So a truly, truly interesting guest that will perfectly fit into our concept and that will hopefully give us quite a different perspective to what we've heard previously. So I'm really, really excited to welcoming her. We really hope you enjoy this episode and we will catch you in the conclusions. See you then. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the It's All Sport podcast. I'm joined by my co-host and friend, Anna. Say hello, Anna. Hello, everyone. <laughs> Very good to be on the podcast. We now have our guest for this month, Rihanna Galvin here. Welcome to the studio. Thank you for having me. It's so nice to be here. How are you doing today? You okay? Yeah, all good. It's nice to be up North London for once. I don't often come up this side of the river. <laughs> Very nice. How does it feel? It's okay at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> Can you just give us a little bit of background? Were you always intrigued and interested in performance analysis or how did you eventually end up where you are right now and what are your current roles and teams that you work with? Yeah, so in summary, that's where I'm at. I'm the course lead of St. Mary's sports analysis and talent ID undergraduate. But I'm fortunate enough to be involved with the master's courses that sits in our department. But yeah, starting off, I think being from West Wales, quite a calm, quiet place in Pembrokeshire. Not many people know about it. Great place to visit if you've not been. We specialise in swimming at quite a young age and then obviously going through school, sampled more sports. But got to a point taking up the role of coaching and then that's where I sort of sparked straight into university in Cardiff Met. 
took on a few roles with different teams, set up the analysis at Swansea Uni because my sister was there and then managed to pick up the Welsh hockey, like you already said. And to this day, I'm still with them, which I'm really, really grateful for and managed to go across the world with them, like Uruguay this year, Prague as well. So it's been amazing. And to be 25 in the position I am, I'm really, really grateful for it. And yeah, it's been amazing so far. What an organic journey. That's quite nice. You can just kind of go straight in from the start. Nice that you had like a little interest in it beforehand and then managed to specialise in it at university. Not many people end up being able to do a course they're already interested in, which is quite nice, I think. Um, could you give us a bit of a history on what performance analysis is? I, mean, I think our listeners will have a general idea of what it is, but is it all sat with the iPad uh, going over games or is there, is there more to it? So to sort of give a not a boring backstory, <laughs> there's a guy called Charles Reap who actually introduced it into football as a notational analysis way back when. And from there, that was just basic raw statistics. And obviously with time, cameras got involved, so it became more of a backbone to the statistics or any conversations that were being had. But the whole point of performance analysis in sports is to inform decision-making. So especially if the coaches with the athletes, so if you've got a team lineup coming up for like the Rugby World Cup semi-final tonight, you're going to have to have a backbone as to why those individuals have been selected. And that's the most important part of performance analysis. So no, it's not always just been the video side of it. It's data has led the basis of it, but obviously the video and obviously now all the development of technology that we've got comes into it as well. So it's a bigger picture now, but that is the basis of it is so it supports every decision made within the sporting organisation. We're going to touch on the data and technology bit in a second. One thing I wanted to ask before we get into that is, you said obviously you are analysing the performance of your players, but what else does it entail? Is it also analysis of your opponents? Does it also inform injury recovery or what else is there to performance analysis? Yeah, I think in a way not to deep it too much, but in a typical match or tournament process we'll use the video we'll film our own team we'll do live analysis so we'll tag it and we'll often get video or data down to the bench so it informs the decisions as the match goes on wow all right cool also the stuff afterwards so obviously we break it down review the edits the clips and so on then look into the data side as well but also the opposition so you know who you've got coming up in a certain tournament europeans world cup whatever it looks like you're obviously going to dig in to see what they do, if their trends are changing, what their formations are. Key players as well, they might do the same for us so we know how to protect our key players within the game, making sure that we can exploit their key players and their tactics as well. Injuries, often physio might come and say, oh, do you have that clip of that when so-and-so stepped on the ball or how their ankle went or what it looked like in the impact? So we can then truly understand what happened so it can inform their decision of the assessment that they might carry out as well. So helps with S&C if you're taking GPS, physical data, you can link it all up so you get your heat maps nice and pretty, ready for all the players to understand. But it helps a few people along the way, I think, and especially the players when they want to start delving into their own performance instead of just going, oh, I've got to watch myself back and I look great on the pitch. They're actually going to delve deeper into their own performance of the positives, the negatives, what can be improved and enjoying the game as well. 
just touched it on the data side because it must have completely changed the way performance analysis runs. Not only, I mean, the obvious that you can actually watch things back, but it goes so much deeper than that. You know, statistics, it means that you get a complete array of every single movement of every player. How has that changed performance analysis? Do you think it's just replaced human eye or do you reckon it's built on more than that? What has it allowed you to analyse? I think it's definitely overcoming the level of subjectivity that is happening between a coach and an athlete. And it really does help their relationship build as well. Because if the decision's been made and the coach goes, oh, I remember that. And the athlete goes, well, actually, I remember it being different. There's that balance. But then using data also keep it as a bank. And you can look historically what's happened individually and as a team. And that allows the organisations to make decisions on a wider scale of performances. That influences your funding. That influences your community-based level of sport and how that develops through schools and clubs and so on and so forth so if your performances are happening at your highest level that will trickle down to the lowest part so it's not actually just that surface level of data for what our team's doing it's actually going to influence and affect those around us within the communities and especially in wales we're such a small nation you can't take anything for granted (laughs) you need to enjoy everything but the data really does play a vital part And especially to store it in a way that can be understood effectively is really important. That's super interesting and fascinating. In practical terms, how does it look like? What is the use case? Let's say you prepare for a season with the hockey team, right? What kind of metrics do you track and how does that inform the decision-making or training process? So... Obviously, sorry, it's always going to be a bit of a hockey example, but That's good. <laughs> but with it is if we're looking tactically as a team, so something that I might do live would be how many times we enter a certain zone on the pitch and what the outcome of that was. So if we're entering the 25, we then do we go into the circle, but is that an entry or is it a possession? So there's like differences between them and what are our connections between individuals looking like and what are our outcomes? So are we shooting? Are we losing possession? So on and so forth. So if we're not being effective within the circle, we'll go, right, okay, we recognise that percentage-wise, we've only done 27% of shots on target from these amount of entries. That will inform training for the next time that we go together. And then coaches will come together as a group and find a session that will all lead into game-based practice. So it's one of those things, being able to perform a skill, but then being able to perform it within a game-based practice is another thing. And that's also like a really key element. To the coaching process being spot on based off the decisions that we make from matches. Wow. We have quite an international audience. So I think most people will know what hockey is, but it might be worth just yeah. quickly defining what hockey is. So how many people are on each side? You've got 11. So you've got 10 outfield, one mm. in goal. Easiest way to describe it is football, but no offside. Okay. And you're not, allowed, you're not allowed to kick the ball. You're not allowed to kick the ball. I don't think you'd want to kick the <laughs> no, ball, right? Because it's a rock solid. I mean, it's such a brutal sport. Yeah. And you're six an hour instead of them being wood in the carbon fibre. So the detail into the kit is amazing. Your keepers are completely padded up, head to toe, helmet on. Even on short corners and set piece plays, it's, you know, like ice hockey over the helmets. Yeah. We've now brought them in right. for safety. Mm. You have your knee pads Obviously, you always have to wear shin pads, you have to wear a mouth guard. And they're key elements of playing hockey. If you don't have them, you can't be on the pitch because it's such a dangerous sport. So, yeah, it's 11 aside, free for all around the pitch, basically. (laughs) With sticks and a solid ball. But you have to shoot from within the attacking circle. That's the only compromisation. Okay. Well, there must be a particular area of hockey that performance analysis has changed the most. Is it maybe set pieces or is it more individual? Is is there an area that you've seen the most growth in? 
So that's a really good question, actually. And I've not really thought about it, but it's funny because I've recently had conversations with the head coach about our outfield play becoming now more important because set pieces, as an attacking team, you're in an overload. So you're naturally on a greater chance to score. Mm-hmm. Whereas that's where it became so important to check the lines of the defensive runners to shut down the attacking play. So, so much focus was put on from using video and lines and elements to make sure our defensive set plays were bang on. So teams are now focusing on getting the outfield goals because the defensive short corners are so good. Wow. Jeez. So elements like that change. It's almost got it down to a science, you know, like it's just something yeah. that errors are kind of eradicated because yeah. of performance science as well. That's an amazing influence. Yeah, I was going to say the level of sophistication and complexity is, is just incredible. You said a bit earlier that performance analysis was introduced by someone who was rooted in football and presumably the funding in football is probably the greatest to this day. Does that influence level of professionalism between the different sports? And if so, how does it? Yeah, I mean, if you look at the UK, the wages of analysts in football is probably treble the amount in something like hockey, which is unbelievable when you think actually hockey's in the Olympics. Mm-hmm. Got a little bit of football, but it's not on the same scale. Well, you said hockey is like football, just uh, <laughs> But hockey is so old, but it's interesting because you look at how football leads the UK in analysis, but then look at America you take the NFL, you take the mm-hmm. NBA, and you look at the metrics that the NBA are using. There's a video, um, I can't remember the team who it was, but it breaks down the data that they use and the machine learning that they do in the 3D tracker. So they have a tracking system that will manage to take data on individual players on the pitch and the movements between leading to three-pointers, two-pointers, and so on, and how that influences their decisions. So way back when, originally they said that within the two-point line, you're better off scoring there, whereas now through metrics and understanding the 3D from a bird's-eye view, that having a three-pointer scored is better off than any two-pointer. Obviously, that makes sense, but there's Mm -hmm. elements to it that compares to what was found years ago. Yeah. So the technology... I really would like to delve into America coming to the UK in terms of elements and machines like that and push us to the next level, I think. I'm so glad you brought that up because I was going to ask about whether a different sport has had a bigger influence on performance analysis. And I thought America would be the one because obviously they have stoppages all the time. So they can feed back to players constantly what they've seen. Whereas football it's a fluid game, but it kind of like tries to pride itself in that. It's almost like a clumsy market leader in the UK because it doesn't actually want to use performance as much as it you should said do. It, not me. <laughs> the questions have already been asked, but I just think it's a really interesting kind of analysis of America there with the technology being used. The comparison I did want to ask about though was: Have you worked mostly with women's teams or with men's teams? Mainly women's. Mainly women's. So. Do you see a lot of crossover between the men's and women's? And has there been times when you think that there's been tactics that have been learned in the women's or learned in the men's that have crossed over? Is there a lot of crossover with performance analysis between you? Yeah. So, for example, during my time at GB Hockey, I was really fortunate to do my master's teamship with them. So I did sit across both teams there. But independently, when I've done other analysis, it's been with the women's side. So the process for analysis between the two teams was the same when we were there. The decision making, obviously, by the coaches was just different. So the process of getting the players to do independent reviews, player reviews, opposition stuff, still the same. The process, what we do as analysts, making sure the video's database elements are broken down, that stayed the same. It was just more the delivery from the coaches across, which differed, which I quite liked. 
Right, okay. Because there was no differentiation between the genders. It was just how the coaches delivered it and mm-hmm. what the philosophy of the coach went by. And that was the only difference between it, really. Do you think the hockey team Great Britain was an exception or do you think that is regular across different sports in the UK? If we're going back to football, I couldn't tell you how similar the analysis between the men's and the women's teams are because I know some women's teams don't actually have an analyst and the men's team are doing quite well. Mm-hmm. So it's you've got you're doing really well with your analysis department, your coaching, your multidisciplinary team, your physical analysis, and then you've got complete opposite where some people literally have coaches and physio because you have to have a physio. Yeah. But it's definitely not balanced. I mean, it wasn't long ago that women's football players had to have side jobs at the same time as playing football, even at the top levels, which yeah. is absolutely insane. And that's what our Welsh hockey girls do. They play the, tour- the tournaments typically in the summer. And we build in four-year cycles for the Commonwealth Games. They mm. are teachers. They're all sorts of different jobs across the country. And then every now and then we take ourselves to Cardiff to train for two days on a weekend and we go straight back into work on a Monday. And they're expected to be an international athlete at the top level and it's a lot of pressure. And then we go up against teams who train day in, day out, spend all day together, enjoy each other's company and don't have to switch off from a, a daytime job. So it's a lot of pressure that they do endure. But sadly, it's the same for the men in Wales as well. So actually, there's no exception there. But then you look at GB hockey where they're in day in, day out, and no wonder why they're so good being centralised. Yeah. And it really does prove a point of what funding can do for a team. Yeah. In the introduction, you mentioned well, that your journey has been quite impressive, being an analyst, being a woman. Um, is performance analysis still a male dominated discipline and if so how does it make you feel do you feel like a pioneer do you still feel like you have to prove yourself sometimes or what's your take on that the first time I thought about it was when I went to my undergrad there were about 57 of us in the cohort and seven girls and the rest of boys didn't batter an eyelid growing up with two brothers I sort of took a step back and went okay I'm one of few females in in this area And instead of going, oh, that's going to scare me, I use it to my advantage. And I'm quite an individual that'll take on a challenge and give something new. But I had a really great influence at GB Hockey. My boss called Amber and she, honestly, I call her a wizard. She's fantastic at what she does. And she's such a great woman. And within, obviously now it's UK sport, used to be the English Institute of Sport. When I was there, it was a 50-50 split of male analysts to women analysts, which is great. But you look at rugby and football... Male. If a female tries applying to a job in football, a few years ago, probably wouldn't have even got a reply. Now, because skills are better than not saying characteristics altogether, obviously you need a good balance of both, but knowledge and understanding and experiences are going to override the decision of other elements, like being a female, so it doesn't really matter. It's one of those where it is developing, and one of my students last year Fortunately, got a role at Chelsea, and honestly, I was so proud of her because Chelsea being quite a traditional club Mm -hmm. in that they are, they're changing their ways. It's amazing. We love it, and that's what we're here for, and she's thriving. So, yeah, it's good. It's positive, positives. What do you think hockey's done well, then, to have that 50-50 split? And do you think that other there's easy fixes for other sports to kind of, like, switch it across, or is it just the nature of the sport, the way that it's developed? I think with more traditional sports, they just stick to their ways. And again, depends on who's running the organisation, who 
is accepting change, who's accepting this modern world, that actually we all have a knowledge. We all understand it. We all can execute skills, but obviously they've got to find the best one. But it's hopefully not going to get to the point where they go, well, we're just going to give it to them because she's a female. Mm -hmm. But the other one was actually better. No, we'd rather fight for it and challenge and improve ourselves to get the job equally. But with hockey, I feel like it's quite nice because it's a balance of male and female players. We're quite a balanced sport, whereas football at the moment is still male-dominated, but women are catching up and rugby male, women are catching up. Mm -hmm. why are we catching up what's the phrase of catching up and we start a new whole can of worms there Mm -hmm. but it's interesting to see different sports that aren't really bothered by it like speed climbing they've got a female analyst table tennis they've got a female analyst so why are football and rugby the leading sports in the world doing it Mm -hmm. yeah it's almost as if once you establish yourself it's difficult to introduce change whereas these other sports seem to have had a fresh field of view Yeah. yeah I mean, even better that at the GB hockey team, there was an equal split. And if at this point, shout out to Amber. <laughs> well done. You referenced a couple of people. You said, oh, I have people who work at Chelsea or at this place or that place. How would you describe the community of performance analysis? Do people know each other? Do people also know each other across different sports? How do you interact with each other? How does that work? Yeah, do you know what? It's something that I always tell students that it's that seventh degree. You, you're going to know yeah. someone down the line, a couple of people down. LinkedIn is a world of ours. <laughs> I'll tell you that now. You just know somebody who knows somebody or would have crossed paths with them a few years ago. And shout out to Cardiff Met, where I went to do my undergrad. But you look at a lot of analysts who are a little bit older, maybe 10 years older than me, they probably all went to Cardiff Met because it was one of the first courses to do it. So you end up going, oh, you went to that uni. Yeah. Oh, so did I. And then you end up just down this hole. But football's really tight-knit. And even myself coming from a different sport into it and doing and managing placements, I then get to know individuals from the football community, the rugby communities, and then you just find connections between it. But it's such a small community, which is quite nice. And then you find yourself having a couple of friends along the way, which is really nice. Nice. You said that Cardiff Met was one of the first places to offer the course. Mm. How do you think coaches have reacted to performance analysis? Do they welcome it with open arms? Do they like the help? Or have some of them thought on this kind of replacing elements that I think are quite holistic almost? From experiences, some who might be slightly worried, some that might be closed off, some that are really embracing it. So it depends on the philosophy, the traditional elements to it. And even to the point of having an experience going, oh, I'm happy to deliver a session on analysis just to introduce it. That's not me saying, oh, I'm going to go with the tactics elements. Coaches go, no, 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 I'll do that. Just in case we might overstep the mark of their territory. Mm-hmm. Whereas actually you're better off as a coach just going, right, what are you going to cover? Let's just clear where the line is. Mm-hmm. Perfect, you're going to do that. So you can build a relationship with athletes. And this is my relationship with athletes. So... Again, it depends where you go. But in having different roles, for example, with me at Welsh, I will take the girls through if they want to learn how to use the system. I'll take them through that or I'll show them or explain the definitions of things and let them know it's up. Whereas the coach will go through it for the tactic side of it. And do you know what? I like that because I can ensure that they're happy if, if they want to come to me and go, oh, how do you do this? And I can help them with that side of it. And the coach can stick to what he knows, the processes, the tactics, the breakdown and so on and so forth. So it depends on the coach. <laughs> really, really does depend on the coach. But a lot of them are becoming more open to it, which is nice. 
Really nice. Yeah, I can imagine there might be a couple of quite eccentric characters <laughs> who want to do things their way. A final question that I had on performance analysis was in terms of methodology and also technology, is there a lot of crossovers between the different sports? Like, do you see something in, for instance, or in the NFL and you say, oh, actually try to apply that in hockey? One of the exciting things that are going on, obviously, I don't know if you've heard of VO, which it tracks the ball. And I think originally it was designed for football. And at first, hockey really struggled because obviously the size of a football versus the size of a hockey ball, quite a significant <laughs> difference. So it was struggling. I thought it would see a leaf and it would move. Elements like that, but being implement those into different sports of one system brought across definitely is really helpful. Also, seeing what research has been done in other sports means you can bring that concept across and then investigate it within your own sport for sure. But it's having your time and resources with that as well. Obviously, different funding, different methods of that. But in the terms of processes, definitely, it's always interesting to bring it across and to investigate and give it a go. And if it doesn't work, that's all right. You give something else a go at a different time. Nice. Fantastic. I've got one more before we move into like talent identification. She might be a nice segue. On a kind of personal level, yeah. how have players adopted performance analysis? Do they always take it warmly? Do some people kind of shy away from being watched or criticised for every little thing? Or do they always take kind of a little bit of criticism quite well? Do you know what? It's interesting because some people thrive off it and others really struggle watching themselves back. If mentally they're not comfortable with it or they thought they ha didn't have a great performance, whereas actually, statistically, they were amazing. <laughs> but they think the execution of skills, so obviously you've got different elements to performance analysis. You and with the player, obviously you take into consideration the psychological side as well and the physical attributes obviously your data but also like skill ex execution sorry some individuals don't like being informed of the mistakes and it's got to a point where it's going well actually you need to understand and accept constructive feedback in order to improve how are you going to improve basically without acknowledging some mistakes in your life let alone on a pitch or within a match so Individuals are really good. They're developing to get used to it and it's great. And they'll often watch it, go to sleep and it's a new day, especially in tournaments when it's fast paced turnaround. It makes it a little bit better when it's like that, but they're really, really good at adopting it. So how does performance analysis lead into talent identification? I like it. So obviously stripping it all back, performance analysis is, like I said, it informs the decisions and it's a bit of the backbone. Talent ID and scouting, obviously you've got your recruitment, whatever that breaks down into, will also help inform the decision of the recruitment process. So as a scout, some places are still going old, old school pen and paper, can't go too far wrong. But then they always do look back at the video. So even if the scout's there, that even if they're writing, they'll look down, they'll miss something. So the video will help it. Statistics also help it. And elements such as the social side, of a player will then be added into it. So the data then just doesn't become on-pitch stuff or in performance. It will become the psychological, the social and the physical. And within the social, you might even, if they're old enough to have social media, how are their social media rankings doing? What are they wow. following? Elements like that. What are their family like? Where do they originate from? Are they going to geographically struggle when they move? And what's the retention of that? How are they psychologically? Like, how do they sleep? What are their pattern routines? 
So it's not just us as like a tactical bit, but we then delve into obviously the video informs the performance side. But when you recruit someone or you want to scout someone, it's the whole package, which is really important. And the basic one, if anyone wants to investigate, the FA produced something called the four corner model, which really helps structuring, scouting and recruitment and talent identification. That's so interesting. That's insane. I think I read somewhere in some related literature that, as you say, modern performance analysis would take a holistic approach and really look at every single bit of a player or an athlete. To what extent can you predict how these things will actually influence a player's performance, right? Because people are just different. And I just wonder, how can you actually make a good judgment of, for instance, the cognitive capabilities of a player, right? Or the social background or whatever. To what extent can you actually predict that? Predicting it's quite difficult. I mean, predictions come from trends, right? So you're going to look at the historical data of other individuals who might be in similar backgrounds, similar environments, and go, well, well, actually, so-and-so is like this individual that we've had like five years ago, so let's give them a go. You might see similarities within characteristics and elements like that, but it's quite hard to predict how it is. But from a younger age, if we're looking at the talent idea of youth development and looking at them holistically, you have to sort of break that down into the growth maturation. You then go into the physical development of them. So where do they sit when they were born within the year? So traditionally, you go anyone born between September, December, they're probably going to be a little bit stronger because they've had more time to develop ahead of those who were born between June, July, August. You have elements like that that also influence your talent ID. So when you look at it, it's quite a big picture and performance analysis is like a tiny part of it. But that's the best part about it. That, But you can look at things like parental influence, sibling influence, which also sits in the social bracket. But yeah, there's a wide range. You could go down a rabbit hole with it, but it's quite hard to predict if they're going to be the next, I don't know, Serena Williams, if they're going to be the next Messi. Mm-hmm. But Messi was told he was too short. Yeah. yeah. It's put on growth hormones, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> With performance analysis, back to that kind of like niche of talent identification, I'm thinking obviously you've got like shots on target, tackle success rate, that kind of thing. But is there also like a decision-making process? So how are players reacted to a certain thing? Have they recognised an opposition tactic or have they let a man go or let a woman go on an offensive run without noticing that kind of element to it? Yes, you can break it down into team analysis and then you've got individual analysis. And you can look at things like that of the actual decision here and then, but also individual KPI so what are the elements of like turning over a ball how many passes did it take to regain that was it a double turnover what was it like the intercept where were they on the pitch when they intercepted it where did the movement start where did the movement end did they like you say anticipate that element coming through down the pitch to them so those elements really inform a wider picture of a team performance as well so that's how you can then identify who the key players are within a team and can truly paint a better picture of what it's like and where those individuals play best and who they play best with as well. Because you could have a really great, talented young player, but because they're with individuals who might not be at the same ability level as them, Mm. they can't execute skills or a team performance like they could, but they could do a closed skill, Mm -hmm. which is fine because that's them. But as a whole team, it's more difficult. What age do you typically start tracking athletes and what's the rationale behind it so this one baffles me to this day that footballers at the age of nine ten will have data wow you have these football clubs that have these under nine tournaments and they've got data they've got video they've got analysis 
You then get them to like 13, 14, they're coming out of school, which to me, not too sure on, but they do have sessions for school in order to train and so on. The money that they bring at, at that age is immense as well. But the data that is being collected on those individuals, they've been exposed to such high levels of performance and methods of high-performance environments at 13, 14. And I think back to when I was that age, I couldn't even imagine that. I was going to say, I barely figured out what goal I had to shoot on <laughs> you know, at that age. Was... But the pressure at that young age to have that many people aware of every move you have on a football field, you must immediately feel like, this is it, I'm going to make it. But then let's say you get injured at 16. What kind of safety net is there with talent implication? Do you know of any in hockey, necessarily? So with hockey, we typically do... It's not as intense, maybe, I don't know if intense is the word, but <laughs> football, to be pulling them out of school is quite a lot, whereas school, you won't be. Mm-hmm. You typically build them up, the clubs, the communities, the school hockey is what we depend on, and that's where it differs a little bit. And then you develop from your school to club, maybe to county systems, then you have like your regionals, then you have the national age group. So Welsh hockey will have Wales under 16s for boys and girls, Wales under 18s, and then you've got your 21s slash 23s. We try and bracket that group a little bit. So those who have finished 21s are still involved before senior age group. So they're never pulled out of school. They are identified clubs along with people their own age within a word is but a setting where it might be a bit more normal and less pressure Mm -hmm. obviously you said that especially in football and the specialization starts really really early onwards right i read previously that in norway for instance they take a very different approach right and they say we want kids to engage in as many different sports as they can until they're like teenagers right and then if they turn out to be really good at something will push them and we will help them progress in a certain sport. And as you may know, Norway has obviously produced quite a lot of excellent athletes, especially taking the size of the country into consideration. What is your take on that? Do you think that is a good approach? Do you see that critically? Do you think it's necessary that athletes do specialize early onwards? It's difficult when you've got such a success story like Tiger Woods or Serena Williams, who specialize from such an age. But then you look at that and go, well, the parental influence on that was huge. But then you take concepts of elements like physical literacy, which is your classic ABCs, which everybody has to have your coordination, your balance, your agility. Everyone has to have it. So I think that specialisation can be tarnished if they haven't had a little bit of sampling and trying out different sports along the way. Two of the best sports for young individuals for even development let alone even specializing within a sport swimming and gymnastics just to get those elements sorted then put them into a different sport just get a few basics nailed down and away you go and they're amazing Mm -hmm. because of the speed and strength and power that they have and it's going well actually can they actually use these skills that transferable like anyone in a day-to-day job if you have skill on a software, you can transfer that to a different software. Can you change or transfer your physical skills? Yeah, you can. So actually, it's not a bad thing to sample, but specialising early for certain sports is good, like gymnastics, but then other sports, maybe allow yourself to develop, grow, then specialise. Your time in academia, I wouldn't move on to that if that's okay. Is there a particular area of interest for you? One of my favourite modules to teach is recruitment analysis. 
and really, really enjoy it. But it's because we develop and we, as a we, mean myself and the students, <laughs> look into concepts within America and around the world to see what other sports do and how we could amend our methods here and instead of being so closed close off to it and thinking, oh, everything we're doing is fantastic, being open to it. And it's in about elements such as the youth and how that actually influences those later down the line and what the US college recruitment processes looks like compared to us. And being a university lecturer, nothing on par with them. Mm. And college and uni, roughly the same age. And it's really interesting to see it of how recruitment processes for colleges in America drives their sports teams, but also they have to nail the academia, whereas actually we're just going for academic individuals. Where's that collaboration of informing those decisions for actually let's build a team or let's build an institution that can have more than just academia and pair it up with other elements. Not saying that every uni needs to be sport-based, but even for a level of physical education or physical activity outside of the classroom for wellbeing purposes, ensure those processes are in place for everyone. I would say that in the UK, you are at a relatively sporty uni, like pretty on there, like pretty specialised. Yeah. And even for you to say that at that level, it's not where it needs to be. I mean, America is, is fascinating. The amount of money they pump into their college yeah. sports is ridiculous. Yeah. If money wasn't an issue, right, and you could commission any type of research in your field, what would that be? What would be something that you'd like to look into? Gosh, not thought about that. But I think research for me... I'd really like to delve into the notion of role models from a younger age and even within those specialising sampling sports. So the growth of young girls and growing up with role models without role models from different environments or different communities around the UK and those who might come from less fortunate backgrounds to see what they're being brought up around and what sports they might play and how that influences them in the future and what they're being exposed to. I think about myself coming from West Wales and what I was exposed to as, as a job side now. I come to London, I've, I've been exposed to so many new roles I didn't even know existed. So to bring it back to the research point, it would be interesting to see what the livelihood of young girls, where they come from, what they do, and their exposure to role models, which takes them into sport. And not always just the performance side to actually investigate their roles within organisations. So are they managers, are they coaches, and what that looks like? Because being an a female analyst, but also a course lead. It'd be really interesting to see what is also out there for other individuals and what exposure they're getting that I might not have got or my friends might not have got. Yeah. Representation is just critical, isn't it? I mean, yeah. Shout out once again to Amber. <laughs> <laughs> it's really interesting to see the different generations coming through as well. But yeah, be open to change, I think, is the biggest thing that they've sort of taught me and be open to new things and concepts that I actually don't know about, even though I thought I was really young. <laughs> <laughs> that absolutely makes sense. You kind of touched on that already just now, but we always try to give our listeners something, you know, a, a takeaway, something that is critical to you or something that you think these people should hear. What would that be? I think one of the biggest things for me was accepting challenges and facing them head on. And instead of going, oh, actually, I'm not too sure about this, give it a try. If it doesn't work, it's not the end of the world. And Whatever that might be, whether that's moving two, 300 miles away, giving a course a go, doing an online learning course, or whether that be moving in with a friend, whether that be trying code window when you do analysis, it doesn't matter because you're going to learn something from it and you can find positive from that learning no matter what it was from. Thank you very much for coming on. Thank you so thank much. Thank you very much, Rhi. Thank you. 
Hello everyone and welcome back. Super interesting guest. I hope you agree and hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we liked recording it. I just want to say, I mean, I, I knew that this was going to be an interesting guest to have on, but the level of sophistication, internal identification and sports performance analysis is truly staggering. The thing that I found most interesting about it is, is just the way that it's eradicated certain errors in games just by kind of reducing the subjectivity that must have been in present you know like reset how one player would remember something different to a manager would but once you have that kind of stat pad and you have the kind of videos to go back over suddenly stupid errors and kind of like mismanaged tactics just kind of go out of the game and there's certain set pieces certain plays that just get improved to the level in which they're almost impossible to score against and i, I think that uh, shows a real improvement of certain elements of, of hockey and also to wider sports that i wasn't really expecting uh, was there anything else that you found interesting about it Anna? yeah first of all i can totally echo what you just said i wasn't aware of the level of sophistication in terms of sports performance analysis it's quite cool from a perspective of a spectator, I guess, that uh, the game just improves and makes it more entertaining for people like us who are not as talented as uh, professional athletes. One thing that I was truly amazed and surprised by was how Rihanna said that performance analysis take a holistic approach to talent identification. So they don't purely look at the data and performance of individual athletes throughout a game, but... They also look at the social circumstances, the upbringing, the location, the friends, and they compare it to other athletes who might have gone through a similar development to try to anticipate where an athlete will be ending up at. And that is something that I just wasn't aware of at all and find find really interesting. Yeah, and also the kind of level at which they have the sophistication at the lowest youth levels you know i know it's not the same for every sport but in football they're looking at these players at the age of nine years old with stats and you know performance analysis that just goes well beyond what i was expecting i mean i remember what i was like at nine years old i barely knew what i was doing <laughs> to imagine that there were peers at my age who would have this uh, sophistication I mean, you would immediately expect that you're going to make it to like the top level of the game. I think obviously it comes with its own challenges in terms of the fact that it gives these young players great expectations. But I think they must have found talents that they would never have found if they didn't have these technologies and these, these sophistications to hand. I did want to ask you, were there any overarching themes that were picked up on in this episode that you think you'll take away with you going forward? Well, one thing that struck me, and it seems to be a topic that is reoccurring throughout um, many of our episodes is once more the imbalance between genders and how sports performance analysis equal to many many other disciplines in the industry is once more male dominated and I do believe that there is a job to be done for people to work in sports performance analysis but also across the industry to try to well balance these imbalances and, and, and tackle the inequality. So that is really one thing that resonated with me once more. Yeah, I think we're going to see that in pretty much every episode that we do, but it's just as shocking every time. And I like the fact that in this particular example, there was GB Hockey who have done a bit to try and redress that balance. So hopefully we'll see more examples like that as the season goes on. One other thing that I think we are always going to see and we did see in this one is just the dominating factor of having football. Global sport, but also in UK sport, I think it takes away funding, takes away attention from other sports around it. And in many ways, it's a clumsy market leader. It's a 
brilliant sport and we both love it and met through playing football. But it definitely, because of its traditional elements, has, has contributed to that male domination in sport uh, and many other kind of toxic and, and uh, the bits of sport that you don't really like as much, the bits of sport that you associate with, often come from that football culture. And I think that is going to take a lot of time to unpick and to address. What do you think about that, Anna? Do you think there's anything else to say about that? Yeah, I think you rightly point to some of the issues that result from the pure dominance uh, of football across other sports. And what I find sad and what I think is a real pity is that I kind of see it as a missed opportunity where football, the biggest sports on the planet, could really take the role of a leader and enable other sports to perform better, embrace other sports, form a community among different sports and improve the experience both for players and athletes but also for the spectators behind the screens or in the stadiums. And that is really a missed opportunity. So to all people that work in football, do help your peers. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think that will be probably the pervading notion that will go through all of our episodes is that uh, sport deserves to be experienced holistically uh, and as one big community. Before we do head off, I think uh, it's worth saying thank you very much to Rena Galvin for coming down. She was not only brilliant offering insights into such a complex and interesting topic, but she was so personable, so lovely from the moment we met her. So yeah, thank you very much for coming down, Rhea. It was a, it was a really good episode. Thanks, Rhea. Right, okay, thanks guys. We'll see you in the next episode.